0: This episode of the Vine Pair podcast is sponsored by the Prisoner Wine Company. Check everyone off your gift list, including yourself, during the biggest sale of the season. From now until Monday, November 27th, save 20% when you purchase 12 or more bottles of select wines online, including the best-selling Prisoner Red Blend. For free ground shipping, simply use code CASE20 at checkout. Head to the prisonerwinecompany.com to shop now.
1: From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter,
2: and I'm Joanna Sharino.
1: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. and this is the VinePair podcast. And we told you that we would be here for you on Friday after Thanksgiving,
2: even if you didn't want us here. And look, I want to be
1: full. <laughs> full I want to be full disclosure here. We're we're not recording this on Thanksgiving or the Friday after. So, like, whatever happens on Thanksgiving is going to happen. I, I don't know too much else going on. This is a pre-record. <laughs> Let's be clear. If something crazy happens in the business. In the next like three or four days, like I don't know, someone else gets bought. Uh, we can talk about that in a second with this Sonoma Cruz stuff, but uh, we won't be there for that. We, mm-hmm. we won't. We won't be with you, but uh, we hope you listen to this podcast, anyways. Cause I think this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, but you know, happy Thanksgiving to all.
2: Happy Black Friday to all.
1: Get it, get it. Although Black Friday started like three weeks ago,
2: started three.
1: Black Friday literally started three weeks.
2: Black ago. Friday doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah,
1: it used to be like an event. Did you yeah. guys ever do Black Friday stuff?
2: Well, even just work—I mean, it was such a big thing with like online retail like,
1: when you were at Food 52. Yeah, I bet that was insane.
2: That was a dark time. <laughs> they, were,
1: they, were, they were like, "Go, go, go!" That
2: was like you just buy work. the
1: pots, buy the knives, oh buy the plates, <laughs> buy the
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Do you want a limited edition stob? <laughs> you can have it Friday only. Yeah, at Food 52. <laughs>
2: You got the emails, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I got them yeah, all. Yeah, 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 I, got
1: I even read that amazing article that was written, like, what, seven or eight years ago now about, like, what it's like in food on, at Food 52 on Black Friday. <laughs> it was, like, on, on in Ad Week or something. And I remember, like, it was, like, whoa, this is intense. Like, intense. hotlines going everywhere. Like, no vacation
2: whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a r- nice part of not working in, like, e-commerce. Yeah. <laughs> or not being a part of that.
1: I also, yeah, I just... I I would go once in a while, never like to the Walmart in the parking lot for the stampede, but but, truly, yeah, yeah. But when we would sometimes go home to Naomi's family, they you know in Lancaster, outside of Lancaster is a huge outlet mall, Mm -hmm. and it would be sometimes fun to go at like two in the morning on Thursday or sorry, I guess Friday morning, and I'd go with like her sister and whatever, and we'd like just go around to see. Um, I think we did it twice, but I've never been a big Black Friday person. I knew people when I was growing up who would like go. They would leave Auburn after Thanksgiving. They would drive the hour and fifteen minutes to Atlanta. They would get a hotel room and then they would shop all day long at all the stores in Atlanta. I just like, nah. That's nah. It,
2: it. Really intense. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I guess not the stampeding and the violence. Just but like the like let's getting the spend deals, money. Well, getting the
1: capitalism. Deal. <laughs> I like it. Anyways. So uh, what have you guys been
0: reading on the site? Zach, you you kick it off, buddy. Sure. So I think, you know, one of the interesting pieces that I read recently was by Maggie Hennessey, The Timeless Allure of Oysters and Alcohol. And this was interesting to me on two levels. One is uh, a former lover of oysters who now, sadly, has a shellfish allergy. It was like a little bit of like a, oh, I remember when, a little bit of, uh, you know, nostalgia for when I could eat them without them making me sick. But also because I find this specific combination vexing. And for the reasons that are a little bit explained in the piece, and I also think just one of the things that I always felt is, you know, people would always ask, you know, I worked in a lot of restaurants that served a lot of oysters on the half shell in particular, and, you know, other shellfish to some extent, but but oysters in particular here in Seattle. And, you know, people would sort of say, like, well, what should I drink with this? And there are, you know, any number of... Uh, Suggestions in the piece: some kind of predictable sparkling wine, Muscadet, uh, gin martini. Some more a little out of the ordinary, like single malt Scotch or um, one that I always find interesting, which was like a like a stout or a porter, uh worked surprisingly well at times. But the but the fundamental part of this is that like as I got further and further along in my enjoyment of bivalves, before I could, no longer could. I found that what I really wanted to do when I had oysters was just to have the oysters, and I would drink all the rest of the time. But like uh-huh. they, they have us, a, a good oyster has like enough going on with it that it almost, in the same way that I didn't want cocktail sauce or even horseradish or lemon or anything, and just kind of wanted to enjoy the oyster by itself. I think where I ended up landing was like to me the ideal pairing with oysters is just another oyster. So that's kind of where I was.
2: You're such a purist. Yeah, you're Zach. such a purist. In that way, yes,
0: I was. Now I'm just a. Uh, unable sadly (laughs) Joanna what about you what have you been reading
2: um there was a great piece on the site from Aaron Goldfarb about the infiltration of OnlyFans creators on private whiskey in private whiskey groups Uh that I thought was super interesting I am not a member of any private whiskey groups I don't I don't know too much about OnlyFans myself, um, but I thought this piece was super interesting because um, basically it it explores... there's an OnlyFans creator in particular who actually happens to really like bourbon and kind of how they deal with the um, creators who join these groups and what they're there for and why they're there. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good read. You should read it if you haven't. I, I know Zach uh, wish there was more, a little bit more, uh, <laughs> some more details, salacious details, as he put it. Um, but yes, super interesting piece.
0: Yeah, Aaron does point out in the in the uh in the piece that for a group of people who are usually more than happy to flaunt their whiskey collections, relatively few of them were interested in talking about what OnlyFans creators they might subscribe to, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> I can understand. But I was I will say that the the one thing that I loved about that piece in particular, and, and I think Aaron did a good job of talking about this and remains a fascinating kind of concept, is how the confluence of these two markets both of which in some sense are centered around mostly men with a lot of disposable income have such overlap and that was the most interesting thing to yeah. me is you know this this was there's a natural resonance there um that i don't know that i thought about before but as soon as i saw the headline and started reading the piece i was like ah, oh, yes this makes total sense
2: yeah i mean they're there for a reason right
0: yes tater taters got the money <laughs> and uh-huh. perhaps the lack of uh discretion uh,
2: adam
1: well I, co- I i read a little bit about what i want to talk about which is our coverage uh this is not the full topic for today but uh, our coverage of duck corn's purchase of sonoma Coutre for 400 million dollars this past week um and i've got to be honest i actually don't think i've ever had sonoma couture before maybe once i think so i
2: have <laughs> i think so here at the office
1: have they been here before?
2: No, I don't think so. Well, then I haven't had it before. Surely some <laughs> Chardonnay, right? Yeah, but I, I can't. I guess I what I'm, I don't
1: remember it. Right. Sure. Okay. Uh, and obviously, I think Dow, while I've only had that a few times, has made a much bigger impression on me in terms of the way I feel like they market themselves. So, so I don't really know what Sonoma Couture is as a brand. So the four hundred million dollar price tag to me was very interesting because it seems very high for a brand that I would. I would say that I think a majority of people in my demographic especially in cities aren't as aware of even though I do know it is a very big Chardonnay brand and probably only competitive to Rombauer which also makes me like very curious now about how much Rombauer was paid for because if they were bought by Gallo and this one for 400 million like what did Gallo pay for Rombauer because you know it is arguably the much more famous of the two Chardonnays uh you know and I don't I don't get the sense necessarily that that Brown Foreman wanted to fully unload this but I always had also wondered why Brown Foreman was owning a, a wine company uh, they are a you know the makers of Jack Daniels they they don't really need nor do I think they probably have the same expertise to own a wine company. How long
2: have they owned it for? Do you
1: know? <sighs> I have no idea, but maybe the reason I wasn't as well aware of it is because it was owned oh, by them. 1999. Yeah, so like, it feels like to me like that was bought by a member of the family that really just wanted to, get, they got into wine and wanted to own a winery, um, but is, again, never felt like a, a really great fit and probably was always like the sort of bastard in the corner that they didn't really care about as much. I mean, they make just so much money off of Jack and then they have so many other spirits brands. Um, I think it's actually a lot harder. This is a lot, a topic for down the road, but I think it's a lot harder for traditional spirits companies to then get into wine than I think it is for traditional wine companies to then get into spirits. I think you've seen I just I, I don't know, you know, I feel like you see more success of that. You see, you know, Constellation Traditional wine company now in spirits doing fairly well with them Gallo traditional wine company now spirits doing exceptionally well with them Diageo offloaded all of their wines I don't think you could name the wines Campari owns though they own some Remy Cointreau owns some wines don't think you can name them Uh, you could argue LVMH was a traditional wine company then you know obviously Hennessy uh, and now has great spirits Pernod owns some wines again but they are all second to their spirits I think it's a lot harder Um, that's a good topic. We'll talk about that down the road, but, uh, anyways, I don't know. I was, I was curious, like, you know, before we, before we jumped on this pod, Zach, you were saying you did serve a lot of this wine.
0: So what was your sort of impressions when it was sold? Yeah. You know, it's funny, Adam with cinema, could it was definitely one of those brands that was called out for by name by some of my clientele over the years and, you know, didn't have quite the same name recognition, or I guess I didn't hear it quite as often as Ron Bauer. I would say, yeah. you know, kind of in the trio of California Chardonnays that I got asked for a lot, it would be obviously Ron Bauer, Cinema Couture and Kendall Jackson being the third that people would sort of specifically request by name, especially in that kind of mid-tier price point. I always found it to be, you know, kind of a a, a good kind of, this is going to sound dim- Uh, dismissive. It's not, but like a sort of crowd pleasing, inoffensive Chardonnay that, you know, for someone who kind of said what they liked, and if it was in that general ballpark, probably would suit them well. It was also, I feel like we had it for years and years in half bottles, which, you know, that kind of size for that kind of wine is often a great fit, like in a restaurant program, where sometimes there's the person who's like, I just want a sort of more full-bodied Chardonnay. I don't care what everyone else at the table is going to drink, but bring me my two glasses of that. So yeah, I had a lot of familiarity with it, but I also would say that in a way it was also you know, very pigeonholed. I know they do make other wines, but the Chardonnay is kind of the, the, the lion's share of what they do and certainly what uh, Duckhorn is buying them for.
2: The third largest luxury Chardonnay brand in the U.S. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there we go. Anyways, I think it's very interesting. You can send there's Adam some sample of... bottles, uh, Duckhorn. Yeah, there's
1: a lot. Yeah, a lot more to say about this in the future, but uh, very cool, very crazy. There's been some some big purchases of late, which uh, is very interesting. But uh, so, topic for today, I thought we'd talk a little bit about how, with this being Black Friday, we are entering what is considered to be the most important time of year for the alcohol beverage industry. Uh, this is sort of like, you know, Thanksgiving kicks it off, and then we really go into the marathon of. Parties, entertain you know, entertaining at home, et cetera, all the way through New Year's Eve and day. Uh, at which point, some fools do dry January, but that we're not there yet. Uh, but it really is a very interesting time because it is a time when I think a lot of brands, you know, try to make up for you know falling behind throughout the rest of the year. It's also a time when people do offerings to try to gain market share. To you know, it's it's when basically. All the eyes of consumers are on the alcohol beverage industry in a way that, you know they aren't throughout the rest of the year. I think the rest of the year you have your enthusiasts that are always paying attention to, you know, the areas of, of the beverage world that they are interested in. Uh, you have certain seasons when like everyone's looking at tequila in the spring and around Cinco de Mayo, everyone's looking at bourbon during Derby or in the early fall, or everyone's kind of thinking about Rose, et cetera, in the summer, the spritzes. But this is a time when everyone's looking at everything. Um, and, there have been traditionally winners here, right? Traditionally, the winners are always dark spirits and bubbly. Uh, but in the in a few years, for a few years now, there have been other winners as well, like Tequila. Uh, so sort of curious, like, you know, what you all think of this time of year and where who you think the winners may be during this season particularly.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting that we're talking about this because in my position – all year is yep. <laughs> you know we're thinking about this all year um for readers um but also consumers so i think yeah it is interesting to talk about the oppor- where the opportunities are for the holiday season especially because this is when people really go hard right, right? um obviously champagne tequila brown spirits yep. um i think red wine Yes. In particular, right, uh, beyond, like, I don't know, we think about Thanksgiving wines. We think about, obviously, our, our Thanksgiving wines uh, also just published recently. It and did. It did. Read that. Um, but, um, like, Beaujolais, right? And... I think there's a big opportunity there to carry into the Christmas holiday too.
1: Yeah, this this is definitely the time where wine could like show up if it wanted to, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if it wanted to. Yeah, and, and talk to the rest of the consumer base. But that's you know, let's not pick on wine today. It's you know, it's it's the day after Thanksgiving. Wine's probably bloated and full. But um, I I do think that you know the biggest thing I think we're going to continue to see this holiday season is the the rise of tequila mm-hmm. that's just going to that the amount of now these baller bottles that have been released that are available for gifting for showing off etc is so much greater than it even a year ago two years ago that i think it's just continuing to cement its place as the spirit right now of the moment that people want to celebrate with and so you know i think you're going to see a lot of it popped on new year's eve uh you're going to see a lot of it drunk throughout the the December holiday in a way that maybe in the past you hadn't. You know, two or three years ago we got a brief from a major tequila company saying to us, you know, help us come up with an ad campaign that basically keeps us relevant during the holidays. And now I think, you know, they don't need that kind they don't need to write that kind of brief anymore. They are relevant during the holidays and they're just continuing to cement that relevancy.
2: Yeah, I think also because we know blanco is not the you know choice of the trade but especially with the aged expressions i feel like it's a wonderful holiday option for people
0: yeah you know it's really interesting this is making me think back to in the restaurant industry this time of year and and thinking about it through the lens of you know the the holiday period being really a time about not about discovery not about trying new things but for people kind of familiar favorites luxury, you know, things that make people feel special and to some extent, things that maybe even make people feel like they're indulging or overindulging potentially. Yeah. And and I think, you know, this is where, you know, we talk about a lot of converging trends that we've been mentioning over the last few months on the pod, because again, it's important to remember, you know, I was thinking back uh, about the conversation that we had a while ago about, you know, why is it that we were getting such, you know, seeing such seasonal creep with like pumpkin beers and stuff like that and it's because the purchase decisions are made for that months before they hit the shelves, right? The big, the big stores, the big retailers, et cetera. And the same is true with, you know, kind of all of the inventory that's laid in for the holiday season, whether you're a retailer, whether you're a restaurant, et cetera, you know, you're not, you're not really making on the fly decisions in mid December about what you're going to, you know, fill your, short, your store with or your list with. You've already, you know, you've got your holiday offers out, you know, in the case of restaurants, you've put together your, you know, all your various private party menus and stuff like that, where you're going to move through a lot of your products and a yeah. lot of spaces. And it's going to heavily focus on, you know, things that are profitable. So stuff that you can charge margin on, things that are recognizable so that, you know, with the va- all these people coming in who maybe are looking for a place to celebrate and are not looking to necessarily work too hard at it. And places where people are going to feel, You know, indulgent, luxurious, like they're being, you know, they're, they're taking care of or being taken care of people. And yeah, that's a lot of the things you guys have mentioned. I, I do think that it's important to think about this too, not just in the context of, you know, broad categories, but even I think it'd be interesting to see specific brands within some of these categories. Like, you know, Adam, we're talking about tequila fair but where do people gravitate i think that's going to be a really interesting question one i don't have a great read on at this point are they looking at some of the flashier newer celebrity tequilas are they looking at some of the real kind of standard bearers in the category are they looking at something else entirely i don't know i i think that's where you know you really see this because whereas other parts of the year can be much more about something new catching people's eye i do think that this time of year is really about things with pedigree things with um a premium image, things with established uh, sort of history of, of people enjoying them. Because again, so much of the purchasing that is being done this time of year is not for ourselves, right? People are buying bottles, whether they're wine, spirits, et cetera, as gifts, they're holding parties, they're taking bottles to other people's houses for events, et cetera. And so there's a different sort of thought in most people's minds. And when you step outside of the, you know, our sort of sphere of like people who are very much in the know, for a lot of people, that is a fraught scary topic if you're gifting or bringing something to a party. And so you're going to, of course, turn towards a category, of product and a, a specific brand that you feel like everyone recognizes the pedigree of.
2: Yeah. Well, and what about in the um, cocktail space?
1: I kind of think that this is, the, you know, we're going to, again, see the, ro- the continued rise of the martini around the holidays. It's just, it's too perfect. I mean, look, our data was predicting that this was going to happen you know, three and four years ago, and it's just continued to bear out as true. And I think the brands that are that have prepared for that and are circling around that are going to continue to win. And uh, what I think is interesting is that you not as many. I feel like I don't see as many gin brands doing this as vodka brands. But lots of vodka brands, you know, really going all in on the martini, Grey Goose being probably the most yep. prominent. Um, but I think, you know, it is this now drink of choice around the holiday season. It feels very celebratory. It feels very classy. Uh, it's one of these, th- I mean, look, again, I don't, it's not, it's definitely not a sessionable cocktail, but it's one that feels like you're, you're out and having a good time. Same with the espresso martini. I also think we're going to see a continued uh, resurgence of the Manhattan. Um, I think people are now, again, I think when you see resurgence of drinks, it's people get used to a type of glassware and they like to hold that glassware. So <laughs> my my sort of my my belief has always been that like the reason we saw the Negroni was because we were already used to holding a rock's glass because of the old fashioned and then the Negroni just like went in that glass as well and we were there. And same with the martini, we're now used to this coupe glass. People like it, they think it looks classy. Now they like the espresso martini in that same glass and a lot of people are now talking about the Manhattan. So again, I I think it's just it's another one of these classic cocktails that people are 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 falling back in love with, and how long that lasts. Usually, you know, the third or fourth entrant in the glassware cocktail space will will be here the for the shortest amount of time. So who knows? But uh, I do think that we'll see you know more Manhattans as well.
0: That's an interesting thought, and I and I also wonder too. You know this this question about cocktails. You know we think a lot about how. Spirit, you know, spirits as a category and their application in cocktails kind of interact with one another when we talk about, you know, purchasing and how, what drives consumer behavior and, and thinking about it in this time of year, you think about the sort of streamlined, stripped down cocktails like the, the Martini, two ingredients, like the Manhattan, three ingredients as being a good fit for this time of year, both because in settings uh, like high volume, busy restaurant settings, they're easy to execute, and if you're going if you're having people over or you're going to someone's house, they're relatively simple. You can make a large batch of them in a lot of cases, et cetera. I think it's stuff like that, you know, unless, again, you're a sort of, you know, cocktail, you know, enthusiast, the way that obviously some of you listening are, the way that the three of us are, and maybe you are gonna show off your spirits chops in a different direction. But for a lot of people, it's that recognizable name, simple to execute cocktail with pedigree that I think is going to be. What people gravitate towards, uh, even though, like, I think there are lots of other cocktails that certainly could be enjoyable this time of year. They're just harder to kind of convince a more uh, – a less savvy, broader audience to kind of tackle. Yeah.
1: I also think, you know, sparkling wine will continue to blow up. The problem, again, that we're seeing is that there's a champagne shortage. So – You know, champagne will do well, but probably not as well as it could do, and Prosecco will continue to crush.
2: And what about Cava?
1: Never going to (laughs) happen.
2: It's the Cinderella story. I've read this.
1: (laughs) It's just, I mean, if the grapes that made Cava were more interesting, then maybe it would be a, maybe it would take off, but they're just not. You heard it here. No love for American
0: sparklers? Is that that what we call them now?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we call them. Yeah, we
1: call them American sparklers. Uh I, I just, the idea I had to call them American sparklers was so good. Uh, okay fine it was Keith's idea but if, if I just I, you know hopefully he listens and he's angry about this I like American Sparklers but again I think they're just there's not enough of them readily available for most people you know yeah they don't I, I think that they there could be more readily available I think there's some really cool American Sparkling Wine producers but again like if you walk into the majority of you know retailers of, of sparkling wine, you're not going to find those as often as you're going to find prosecco, champagne, and ugh, cava. Uh, but uh, I I do think that prosecco is just like it's the one to beat,
0: and no one's going to beat it anytime soon. It's just it's it's too easy. So I have a question for you guys. So so far yeah. in this conversation, we've talked a lot about spirits and some about wine. Do we think that this is a time of year that nope. Beer. beer no absolutely not <laughs> what about what about seltzer
1: yeah yeah like uh if you're at if you're at like the office party for sure people are gonna be really? slamming seltzers yeah when when you're like the sad office party right the one where like your employer doesn't even like get a venue you know, like, we take our entire staff to dinner besides you zach sorry you're in Seattle <laughs> but like everyone to dinner i'm an expensive
0: know. date anyhow it's okay
1: plus ones cocktails wine but like the trend recently has been, like, shack, Shake Shack in the conference room of, like, <laughs> you know, the publication you work at. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, you'll see people drinking beer and seltzer and whatever, like, or just the more casual party that someone does. But I don't think you will see it as much because people just think of wine and spirits as much more celebratory. This is this yeah. wine and spirits kind of like time.
2: Yeah. I feel like this is a really tough time for beer. Yeah. Like, everyone tries to make, like, barley wine happen, <laughs> um, large format beers. I
1: don't want to be bloated at the holiday party. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: like, I just don't. Or at least if you do, you want it to be off, like, past apps, not off a of beer.
1: No. like, Coquito, like Yeah. Right yeah out. No. Blo- no. Like, also, get we. We'll this will be a different episode, but get your eggnog the fuck out of here. But anyways,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: I, I think, yeah, no one wants to have, like, just, like, all that gas. Mm. Not fun. Not fun. I it, it, and you know what? Also, beer and seltzer have had their time. They've they've owned the fall if they were smart, right? There's more people. It, it's tailgating. It's you know. It's it's outdoor sports activities. It's it's Halloween now. Apparently, you have any parents I saw trick or treating with their kids drinking beer and seltzer while they were trick or treating with their kids <laughs> all over Brooklyn all of them wow like it that was that was their time man mm-hmm. they're gonna get it by the way if they're smart they're gonna have their time again when the Super Bowl runs around rolls around only a month later so like I just think with the holidays it mostly is a time for spirits and wine unless again you go with your coworkers to a bar after work for you know a, a celebratory drink on a Friday in December like we did a few years ago we all left fine pair the last Friday before the holidays and all went to like a, a you know, Irish pub around here and everyone in the pub was drinking, taking shots of Jameson, but drinking Guinness. We saw lots of high noon, lots of white claw Mm -hmm. because you're out with your coworkers and like, yeah, then no one's like, Oh, I'm going to be the jerk that orders the Negronis and the martinis at the Irish pub. But like, that's a very different environment. But when you're at like the holiday holiday parties, I just don't think you're going to see it as much.
2: Don't forget about the Bud Light flannel pack.
0: Oh. I don't want to talk about the Bud Light Flannel Pack. That memory is seared in my brain, That, <laughs> Right. I wish I could forget about it. I can't. They nowadays.
2: try.
1: <sighs> they try to be seasonal. Anyways, that is our show for today,
2: folks. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know I'll how end to end on a high note. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I wish
1: everyone a happy holiday season. I you know, I think it's gonna be a lot of Fun to see what happens through these next, you know, four to five weeks in terms of the, our industry. If you have burning questions, let us know podcast at vinepair.com. We're happy to tackle those subjects and, uh, hope you again had a great Thanksgiving, get through the weekend and, uh, war damn eagle. I will talk to you guys next week.
2: Stay safe. Sounds great.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Vinepair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vinepair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however, you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So. The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Treball's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Bear Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Shirino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Visit theprisonerwinecompany.com to explore all of their offerings this holiday season, and remember to use code CASE20 at checkout.